Yeah, the the damned came from looking at uh, the blessed of December right off the bat. Um, and, Interesting. And what that character put uh, looks like on the table, and knowing that that process in the story of how to create a blessed um, probably wasn't just a perfect thing. So you know what hmm. what does the first version look like? You know. Yeah. Hi, friends. Craig here. Uh, normally, I record an episode, and then it takes several weeks, even months, before that episode is released. Uh, I just recorded this episode and could not sit on it, so uh, you're going to hear it uh, just days after it was recorded. Uh, this is an Insider Insights with Matt and Kyle from Weird Games. Uh, we start off sitting down talking about uh, where the idea of their newest faction, Explorers, came from for Malifaux. I walk through the conception how it got fleshed out and how it, they ended up becoming a real thing. We learn about uh, their process, the, what they go through from concept to finished product. We walk through each one of the new masters in the faction. Uh, we finish off talking about uh, how to handle feedback and how do they listen to what people say? How do they filter it out? We even touch on when do they finally stop and go, you know what? This model needs an errata and we need to uh, pay attention to it. Stick around to the end. Uh, I ask both of them what they're excited about and both Kyle and Matt reveal some really some new information for a lot of Malifaux fans. Uh, confirmation of things we suspected and uh, some things we didn't expect. So uh, don't miss it. Sit back, learn about uh, the process that Kyle and Matt go through to create a brand new faction. Enjoy. Playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the Third Floor and the Tabletop Talk Broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Now, anyone that plays Malifaux is excited now that the new faction explorers have been released. With the faction book out in the wild, it was time to get the designers back on the show to learn how this new faction came to life. Now, Matt Carter and Kyle Rowan are the designers at Weird Games. They've both been on the show a few times now um, and even gave us some live commentary on the game we broadcasted for Gen Con. So we'll start with you, Matt. Welcome back to the third floor. Hi. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. It's always a fun time. So out of curiosity, Matt, I know you've been doing some things with Malifaux, but I'd be curious, uh, what have, what else you've been doing to entertain yourself gaming wise? Um, it, It's a lot more video games, unfortunately. I can't That's get fine. to the game store. Um, And any Malifaux that I have been playing is on Vassal, which I really appreciate having that yeah. there. Um, even uh, just being able to like play test, having to learn Vassal and just being like, oh yeah, I can just put models in and then play test new things with my playtesters, even though like they don't exist. Um, <laughs> that is nice. <laughs> it, it is it is nice to be able to have that uh, resource at our fingertips. But other than that, yeah, uh, just uh, a couple video games. So what video games are you playing, Matt? <laughs> uh, recently, I've been playing the Marvel Ultimate Alliance game on Switch and nice. a lot of Destiny. Oh, really? Yeah. Very, very good. I've never played Destiny. I've heard it's good, though. 
It is. It is quite fun. Yeah, I hear it's a time suck too. Uh, I can yes. hear your voice. It is absolutely. A time suck. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so our other guest, of course, is uh, Kyle Rowan. And Kyle, welcome back to the third floor. Yeah, it's great to be back. So, same question to you, my friend. Uh, other than uh, making kick-ass Malifaux stuff, what have you been keeping yourself busy with? Uh, well, as far as tabletop stuff, uh, most recently I scooped up Thousand Year Vampire, which is a solo RPG. Um, really kind of a crazy concept where you play as uh, a vampire. It's it's kind of a writing exercise of a game, um, but you lose memories as you go on. and uh, That's cool. Yeah, it's a really neat concept. The The writing in it is is really esoteric, and I just enjoy that, like the lost words and that sort of stuff. Um, and then, uh, like Matt, I'm also diving deep into video games, most recently Demon's Souls. Um, I, uh, I guess I'm a sadomasochist. I just like getting crushed over and over again, uh, but I'm having <laughs> a lot of fun in that. So I, I've been getting into RPGs a lot lately, too, with the COVID stuff, Kyle. And I've like I've heard of solo RPGs, but literally have no idea what the hell that means. Like, I know what the words mean, just not put together. So, like, what do, what is, what are you doing? What is a solo RPG and how does that work? Uh, that, I mean, it, think of it as essentially a writing exercise. Um, it allows you to stretch uh, those muscles a little bit. And uh, I don't know, I do a lot of writing for weird, but it allows me to do it in a more uh, creative space, uh, something where I don't feel quite as limited by, you know, the the structures of Malifaux or the other side, yep. you know, that sort of thing. It just lets me do whatever I feel like doing. Uh, and there are rules and stuff like that. You know, it's not just uh, an organized creative writing thing. Um, and this is the first time I've played uh, a solo RPG. So I'm not, I'm certainly not an expert on it. Right. Uh, but um, yeah, the, the, the experience has been unique enough that it, it's kept me flipping pages. So. Now, is it like a choose your own adventure type thing where, you know, turn to page 37, if you, do this or is it really pretty free form? Like you make your character and it sets a scenario and you kind of, kind of write it yourself. Uh, I mean, it's, it's loose. Uh, I mean, there, there are choices made, there are outcomes that happen. So in, in some regards it's choose your own adventure, but um, it's a little bit more interpretive than that. Um, and then some decisions that you make um, early on might end up changing your character later or might end up, huh. Um, uh, being forgotten, you know that that really neat thing that you done that did a while ago, um, ends up becoming a thing that you can no longer remember, and uh, that's that's kind of the the most interesting part about the uh, the game uh, story wise, because you are playing as an immortal vampire across an a thousand right. year stretch. So but yeah, I'd, I'd recommend kind of cool. it. Now, did you, were you an RPG or before this? Uh, like, did you sit down and roll dice playing RPGs? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't played D and D in a while. Um, Matt is probably sick of me talking about my favorite RPG, which is blades in the dark. Um, I've oh, heard that's good. That's, uh, it has been sitting in my wish list for a long time. That's the heist one, right? Yeah, it's so excellent. Um and uh it's such a refreshing experience because for one the the DM is essentially just improving the whole thing because it's up to the the players what they're doing and the decisions that they're that they're making and the types of heists that they're going to go do. Um and you know the the DM essentially 
can create and establish a world, but right. um, they're basically on the fly with like the decisions that are being made. Um, and it's, it's so much fun. Um, uh, oh, you're going to make me end up buying that damn thing. I've been so strong, but that sounds really good. <laughs> now I've heard like the mechanics behind the planning and stuff. So like, you know, I, I, I've run heists in other RPGs as a GM and what, what it, it often can turn into is, you know, seven sessions of the party doing nothing because they are spent so much time planning and talking. What if this, what if that? So you end up doing nothing for like seven sessions. But from my understanding in, in Blades of the Dark, like it, there's a mechanical way to keep, make sure that that is, is handled. Is that right? Oh yeah. The momentum never stops in the game. And even awesome. uh, during like the downtime when you're not doing heists, you're, you're still doing important things. Um, you're not spending time going from place to place. There's like a, like a, I, I imagine like like a TV show almost where right. like the camera cuts from one screen to another. Um, and there's a lot of that in, in the kind of embedded into the system. And um, so you're never bogged down with uh, we're walking on a trail for three hours, you know, <laughs> roll on the encounter table. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's none of that. Uh, That's so. cool. I might have to poke around. Matt, did you ever get into RPGs? Do you play? Um, I haven't played in a bit of time. Um, I'm actually starting up another RPG, uh, fifth edition in next couple of weeks. So that's exciting. Nice. I haven't played in a, in a, yeah, a while, but, uh, I've, I've always been like a fifth edition kind of person. I never really like deviate that much. Um, I know several years ago I played the star Wars RPG a bit. Yep. And I know you're a big fan of that. So. I am. Yep. Very, very nice. I, um, in fact, have just not only am I a huge fan of that, I've become such a huge fan of the dice system that that Star Wars RPG uses, that narrative dice uh, system that uh, I ended up picking up the Genesis, um, uh, which is their generic. Basically, they took the Star Wars game, stripped out Star Wars and let you set it anywhere. And I just recently uh, started doing it in a fantasy world. Um, but um, that's very, very cool. So, guys, the kind of the goal of the Insider Insight series is to talk to people in the tabletop gaming industry and learn how they got into the business. What is their approach to the work they do and really to understand their overall philosophy. It's a little bit different here with Matt and Kyle because they've been on the show and we've talked through a lot of that. So really what we're going to focus on today is we're going to focus on the explorers. So we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, I'm going to learn how the whole concept of explorers were born. We'll be right back. Howdy friend, Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the US and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzoopsgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. All right, so there was a day where the explorers were just something that we saw in Through the Breach, that we heard about them tangentially in some of the lore uh, stories that were written. But at some point, somebody in the office said, you know what? I think Explorers should be the new faction. So Kyle, can you take me back to that day? Right. So um, at that point we were, we were still kind of contemplating what was going to be the eighth faction. It, it, it was pretty clear that we were going to be 
including an eighth faction, but it was still a matter of what. Um, and at that point, it was a toss-up between the Explorer Society or um, actually splitting up the Arcanists into MNSU and the Arcanists. Oh, nice. Uh, um, and it just ended up to... Uh, uh, ultimately ended up being more interesting for us to uh, the, the uh, Explorer Society, which at the time were called the Malifaux Exploration Society. It's a bit mm-hmm. more of a mouthful um, was just a, a, a bigger playground for us to, to kind of explore. Um, and there are, there, there were some overlaps with uh, some concepts with what we wanted to do in the MNSU versus Explorer Society uh, like Condor Rails, like either way, either whichever direction we went in, we knew we wanted to include them um, because they were uh, kind of just an, an important facet of the game that hasn't uh, been explored enough. Um, so we, we dived in or dove in pretty pretty heavily this time around into them. Uh, but yeah, the, the more we kind of talked things over, the 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 clearer it became that the Explorer Society was just ultimately a more interesting route for us. Yeah. Yeah. So, man, I'd be curious, like, how does the process start at that point? Like, I literally would have no idea where you guys even begin. So you say, okay, let's explore explorers. Let's look at that as potentially the eighth faction. What's step number two? Um, Yeah, so we had. There was not like one general thing that we did. We had a bunch of stuff that we did all at the same time in order to kind of prepare for them. Now, granted, like we we had decided upon explorers before third edition really pushed super far forward. So Bass and McCabe, like both of them, we knew we wanted to have explorers by the time we started really working on them. Um, but there were a couple key things that we looked at. So like condo rails, we had, we like, okay, we really want to do them. So uh, because of how they exist in lore. And so we'll work with, with what they have and kind of expand on that and see what we can do there. And then also, what does the Explorer Society already have? What can we pull from that to kind of do certain things? So we knew Lord Cooper existed, but we didn't really know a lot about him. And right. so we want to expand on that story. And then the last question is like, okay, well, those are like two keywords. We need several more. So <laughs> one of the things we asked was like, what are the explorers exploring? And so we kind of looked at like different biomes to an extent. Okay. But that even saying like biomes is kind of uh not exactly correct because in the end like um ivan is exploring like shadows and uh and anya is exploring the biome of money and so it's it's not really like a location or anything that we're looking at but we kind of like where have we not gone in malifaux we haven't seen the ocean so us talking about that is a really interesting place and then as the Explorer Society, like, what are they? They're this kind of rich group of hunting gentlemen. How do they get their money? What do they do with the information they know? All of these are where we kind of spread out our little fingers to explore the different keywords. Yeah. So it'd be interesting, Kyle, as you start to kind of piece through that, like, where does it, where does mechanics start to start to pop up versus, you know, you know, lore wise, like, for example, if when you knew Cooper, right, you said, okay, Cooper is somebody that we kind of know a little bit about. Um, do you start fleshing him out thematically first and then bring in mechanics to support the thematics? Or do you say, this is a mechanic that we've had on the shelf or I'm just thinking about right now. And I wonder if it fits with Cooper. I, I'm, I'm trying to marry the two in my head. Uh, I think the, 
one thing that kind of makes Matt and I work so well together is that we both have very different approaches to that. Um, I'm very much a theme first person. I need the story first so that I can wrap in mechanics and, and ideas into that. And I don't want to say Matt is on the other side of the coin, but um, he, he's uh, more mechanics driven uh, than I am. And That's a good balance to have. Um, so, I mean, Cooper, for example, we knew that um, from – Early story bits in uh, early editions of Malifaux, we knew that he was a safari hunter. We knew that he was the creator of the Explorer Society, uh, but there really wasn't much more than that. Um, so, um, and uh, we we roughly kept the timeline uh, of development from you know book release to to year in Malifaux. So we knew that. A significant amount of time had passed in right. in, in that. Uh, so, in Malifaux, bad things happen. Anything can happen, and there was so much room for us to explore with what the character was and what we wanted to to make him. Uh, uh, and uh, if players are familiar with just that initial bit from way back when, uh, he's a wildly different character now. I mean. Mentally, maybe not so much, um, but certainly uh, physically. Um, uh, but I'll, I'll let I'll leave this the story itself uh, speak on that a bit. Well, and, and that ties into something that I've been doing, Kyle, and you and I talked about a little before we started recording is um, and they haven't been released yet, but I've been interviewing some of the writers um, that have written uh, for you guys. And one of the things that has come up more than once is how they interact with you guys, um, how, um, you know, you give them the seeds, you give them some parameters and then the writers go um, and mm. then you, you know, you have editorial control and you go back and forth with them. Um at what point do you bring in other people outside of the two of you to say, we need to flesh this out more. Do you wait till you fully formed a character before you start creating some of the writing that we ended up seeing in the faction book? Um, or do some of these writers either in, inside of weird or some of the freelance people, do they participate in the ultimately what say Cooper looked like um, at the end? I'd say that it's, it's uh, kind of a balance between the two. Um, sometimes we have a really clear vision of where we want to take a character, in which case we, we uh, do provide those little bits uh, as often as we can. And other times, you know, uh, one of our writers will come up with a character idea a few years ago and we just end up using them now. Um, and a right. for example, uh, created Jesse in an old Chronicle story. Uh, and, um, he introduced the character again in the uh, McCabe story, and you know it just made a whole lot of sense to introduce that character into the Explorer Society as a model. Uh, and th there's there's so there's wiggle room between that. Um, right. So, so we, uh, we we try to create it as uh, create a space that's uh, collaborative with our writers. So if they have a really great idea, we're not just going to shut it down. We yeah. want to listen to it and maybe build on it. Uh, so. Well, what's neat about that is, um, you know, in conversations that we've had before, you guys have talked about how sometimes you'll think about a mechanic and you'll go, you know, this doesn't really fit and you'll put it away and sometimes it comes back. It's interesting to see, even from a lore perspective, how characters can sometimes do that as well. Um, so, Matt, uh, I, we now know you're the mechanic um, of the team. So Kyle is the dreamer and the storyteller. <laughs> you're the uh, you're the guy that uh, actually puts the wrenches and the grease on it. Where when do mechanic like how does how do you start introducing mechanics? Do you say, okay, Kyle says, look, here's Cooper. This is what Cooper looks like. This is what he feels like. And you go, hmm, okay. Like, how do we make that 
fit? Or do you say, Kyle, I've got this great idea for like a design space. Uh, where can we put it? How, how do we marry this? Yeah, it kind of goes both ways. Um, so uh, Kyle will also probably agree that um, my ideas are very crazy compared to his. Uh, he's a lot more tamer in what he will come up with. Um, and so I might say like, here, I have this absolutely insane idea. Um, and then Kyle will be like, okay, that's that doesn't really work, but like maybe we could work with something there. And then... I'll be like, okay, so I have this thing and we'll, we'll kind of talk about um, any characters that we already have that we might not know where, where they want to go or if we have a role open. So when we're working on new masters and uh, explore society, if one of the masters, if we just kind of were like, yeah, we have five of them done, but we don't know necessarily what this last one is going to do. We'll kind of slot maybe something in there. Um, but for the most part, mechanics will come after initial concepts um it because of how story like related the mechanics are to the gameplay we don't want something to um really change what like the the story that we want to do so if, if i'm doing mechanic it's based on um the vision of the character that we already have we generally don't change the vision of the character because of a new mechanic got it Granted, that's not exactly always the case so there are some characters like cadmus and nexus as a as a whole that warped throughout the entire process based on like what mechanically could fit compared to like what couldn't and then also here's this cool idea and then well, you told me this cool idea, but I didn't do it. I did something else, but it's also really cool. Um, and so all of these things kind of uh, come in and out of each other throughout the entire process from initial concepts to a basic art description to actually seeing a um, line art of the uh, of the character. All of those things will impact what their card looks like. And it, even to like small things of like, I see a line art and like, Oh, this character doesn't have a gun. I guess they (laughs) need a gun of some sort. If it's really prevalent on their character. Yeah. Uh, But generally for like keywords as a whole, we have a, we had a good idea what the different characters might be in that keyword before we started the mechanics on them. Got Um, it. But uh, I think most of the keywords we had like one or two, like we'll fill this in later down the road when we have more of a more of a grasp of what we want to do here i'd be curious kyle was there as you guys really started the process was there particular things that you wanted to explore i keep using explore with explorers i can't avoid it Um, yeah (laughs) like like was was there design spaces that you said you know i really i hope we hit these notes i hope we hit these beats or i hope we really kind of dig into um these ideas um you know, as you look back on it, what were some of the early design goals or spaces that you wanted to uh, dig into? Uh, the the most obvious one that I can think of is um, the the one we didn't really talk about at all. We kind of wanted uh, the book to do the revealing in itself, and that's Jedza and the Seekers. Um, they're a very strange concept um, in how they function on the table. I mean, it's, it's straightforward once you see it, but um, they're, they're heavily heel oriented and we don't really see that in Malifaux. Um, uh, Conceptually that character uh, started as one thing very different and ended up into something that I'm, I'm super proud of. Uh, uh, Jez is one of my favorites in the society. Um, 
but we knew going in we wanted to explore uh the the idea of uh, an immortal character that is uh healing those around them uh in a in a very strange but interesting way you know it's it's one thing to just say you know heal one but it's another right. thing to um to to do what she's doing now uh, which also changed like eight to ten times in <laughs> in the playtesting process to get to get right because it how do you actually make an immortal character on the table um it, right. that's that's the that was a conundrum that um, Matt solved. So, <laughs> well, you guys already have Colette, so this, technically this is the second immortal character that's right, on the table, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> you say that, and then Colette meets Tara and her gang, and Colette dies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had to get an Arcanist joke in there somewhere. <laughs> um, so, the last little bit before we take a break, I want to talk about is, um, you know, one of the design goals that we talked about um, when we talked about third edition um, when you guys came on to talk about that was, you know, the idea of streamlining without dumbing down the game. Um, but now we're opening up uh, a whole bunch of new masters, a whole new faction with some new mechanics and things like that. What does that editing process look like, Matt, where you say, you know what? Um, we don't want to, you know, make this game more complicated, but we want to have more things for our players to, 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 to do. What is that process like? The self-editing. Yeah, well, it's hard because whenever we want to introduce a new character, like they can't play like someone else. We don't want to just be like, well, Jedza is just dreamer also at the same time. They have to play an entirely new way. And so finding a balance there is is very difficult. Um, At the same time, like even new actions and abilities and, and all those things generally when we're starting with these characters, they'll start really um, unique in a way. They'll mm-hmm. have a whole bunch of uniqueness to them and we'll, we'll try to dumb it down so that they're so that we don't have 18 versions of hard to wound, for example. Right. But when we do that, th- these characters, sometimes we're just like, we really enjoy how this works and even changing one word to make it the, the correct common way might, not really play into how we want the character to be balanced. Um, and so that's always kind of this tier uh, seesaw that we have to have to play with. Um, but it, it is not, not different, not hard, not easy. That's the word I'm looking for. It's not easy um, to, to like say this character is going to do this thing that is slightly different than what everyone else is yeah. doing. Um so we try not to do that. Obviously, Explorers has more of that than others. But also, when we were just designing the Explorers models themselves, it was after all of the M3E models came out. So we right. had the 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 ability to look back and be like, okay, is this wording the exact wording that is the best going forward? And so some of these changes are just uh, us getting better designing M3E and being able to say, like, this is a better way to write this. And then other times it's us just being like, while it might maybe better, we're going to keep the common vernacular so that we don't introduce so many things. Um, there, there were a lot of examples where like um, a, a character would have a more well thought out ability that works in a light, slightly different way. But we en- en- ended up deciding like it's it's not that much 
that important to that character to work in this slightly different way. So we'll pull it back. Right. Um, but at the same time, like we, we introduce a lot of new markers and that kind of stuff, but we also introduce some of the same things uh, at the same time. So shadow markers come back. Um, for instance, we didn't, when we were working on Ivan, we looked at Masaki and we're like, okay, we have these shadow markers. We don't want to change how they fundamentally work because that would be strange. Mm-hmm. So all of those are the same thing. And then we also looked at Masaki's triggers and a lot of them are like, Hey, a friendly shadow marker. So Ivan's shadow markers generally deal with only friendly versions because we made this decision to label them with or without the forethought to, yep. to have Ivan going forward. So Kyle, Matt comes to you with the craziest mechanic and you're like, that is bonkers. What is, what is the process of editing Matt's ideas? Like, how do you, how do you tone them down and make them actually usable? Uh, uh, that's, that's still something I'm trying to learn. Uh, <laughs> Can I get back to you on that, Craig? <laughs> uh, I can't think of a, a specific instance. Um, no, you don't remember that we were like, hey, let's make Jedza have an aura that says no one can die. Yeah, there was that. I, okay, so uh, that was one of the, the the crazy ideas that started off with Jedza, um, and um, it went into playtesting that way, and um, we made it work. Um, yeah. But ultimately, it was a fun issue. Um, so uh, that version ended up changing into what you see now with his more life token oriented um because fun happens on both sides of the table um and that goes again into um taking a crazy idea like an immortal character in a competitive game and and making it work um what i think is neat about it is that it still thematically feels that way even though mechanically it might not be which is um something that you know malifaux has always excelled at i think is that you know everything feels unique and it's not only do the factions feel unique but more importantly within the faction everybody feels unique even after the streamlining of m3e so um there's a little bit of smoke that can blow up you guys you guys do a very good job of marrying the two of those so guys what we're going to do we're going to take a break and we get back from this break i want to start breaking down and talking a little bit more specific about some of these keywords so we're going to come back we're going to talk about anya and english ivan we'll be right back Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Howdy friends, Craig here. You deserve a new playmat. Here on the third floor, we use mats by Mars. They are scratch resistant, waterproof, wet erase marker compatible, 
almost free of glare and lighter than neoprene. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. You pick a mat, pick a design, and then you pick an overlay, like one for Marvel Crisis Protocol, Star Wars Legion, or even Malifaux 3rd Edition. Those overlays will really speed up your deployment and make the placement of objective markers so easy. Use our promotion code in the show notes to get a 10% discount on your first order. In the notes of your order, you can even request the third floor logo on your mat for free. That makes the best mat in the business even a little better. So get some new mats, save yourself some money, and help support the show. Go to matsbymars.com. All the details are in the show notes, including the discount code. So the first one I want to talk about is uh, Anya and the Syndicate. Um, so Kyle, I'm going to go to you for the lore piece. First, if somebody has never heard of Anya, doesn't have the book yet, um, where does Anya and the Syndicate fit in? Um, fit in as far as explorers and fit in as far as overall in the world of Malifaux? Uh, so before you can talk about Anya, you have to talk about Condor Rails, which is the, the rail conglomerate that um, she now is responsible for running. Um, which um, was introduced in the Arcanist book uh, into the steam and through the breach. Um, and it was originally run by Anya's father. Um, and there is a brief cameo of him in the Pandora story with an open ended, uh, what happened to him uh, <laughs> sort of thing. Um, and all of a sudden we have Anya. So it's uh I'll let players kind of come to their own conclusions on that one. <laughs> um, but uh, she's kind of a, a, a rising star in the Explorer Society. Um, she runs things a little bit differently than her father, uh, a little bit more aggressively, and you can see that a little bit on the table. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, but uh, essentially the Condor Rails, uh, if there's a – uh, a, a train track in Malifaux, it's operated by them. So uh, they, uh, they, uh, them being a part of the Explorer Society allows them to literally explore any aspect uh, of the world. So, so I'd be interested, Matt, like thematically. So if someone said, Hey, I'm thinking about, you know, you know, buying the syndicate box and, and playing them and, but I don't really know kind of how they feel. How would you describe um, what, what playing syndicate is like? Yeah, so there's a uh, an action on Anya's card that um, the name of it, I think it does a good job at explaining what Anya does, which is hostile takeover. Um, that to me is all about kind of being um, fast and brutal in taking territory and control of characters. So Anya, as a as a keyword with with all of her syndicate, is very very quick. Um, and very good at taking out certain characters that they want to and controlling specific areas. Um, they do that with their scheme markers, with Anya having expansionist, um, all of these abilities that really hamper your opponent from getting to where they want to and controlling the area of the board that you already have. Um, but at the same time, we we didn't want to make them like so overly powerful. So one of their issues is that they're not exceptionally tanky mm. um, and they actually have to spend their health in order to do things as sort of this um, price of the, the blood that they have to, to give um, for the company that they have. So. And, and that I think what's neat about that is it takes a resource that already exists, which is a health resource, right? Every every model has has that as a resource. Uh, but the decision making that needs to happen, um, I think, is interesting in the way that that leverages out. Um, so, Kyle, if uh, 
what are you excited about people discovering? So some, a lot of people listening right now have not played Anya, but they will be, you know, seeing Anya on the table and they'll be playing it. What are you excited about them discovering about that keyword? Uh, well, Matt sort of covered it as far as mechanics go. I think uh, Glass Cannon Melee is going to be an interesting challenge for players to figure out, but she is brutal. Uh, um, I think figuring out how uh, she has managed to uh, combine interests uh, and essentially buy out the Catalan, which we'll see in the uh, the uh, Outcast uh, starter box coming out later, um, which they'll have the Syndicate keyword. So um, uh, it, it's an interesting little tie-in there. Um, seeing how uh, the models like Surveyors tie into both... Uh, Anya mechanically and Jedza um, and figuring out how they work in very different spaces uh, will be a lot of fun. But, um, and then there's also the giant Thunderbird, you know, sovereign <laughs> and uh, for opponents figuring out how to take out, um, you know, a mechanical condor. Um, I can't wait to see that model. I'm so excited about seeing that model because the art looks so good. Um, and the mechanics of that model are very, very cool um, to think about. Um, Matt, what is um, what do you think initial reactions are going to be uh, to syndi- uh, people playing against Syndicate? Uh, people playing against Syndicate? Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things that uh, playing against Syndicate, you have to realize is that um, the individual models themselves they like to kind of get out on their own and um, kind of like Anya is very good at getting past her enemies into their opponent's deployment zone, scheming while also being a big damage threat. Sovereign is the same way, but these characters are fairly easy to take out if you have the, 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 the right tool. So a uh, sovereign only has six HP. If you can do ping damage to him, if you can bring anything that gets past armor, uh, anything like just mass amounts of attacks. It's it's defense four right. um, in the end. Those things are how you're going to beat um, Syndicate. But at the same time, um, if you can lure them to all fight in one area, that's what they don't want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, Anya is very good at maneuvering and pushing around her, her allies as well as the rest of the other characters dealing with like hazardous terrain, pushing you into hazardous terrain, moving you, moving you through all this stuff. If you can force them into one spot, that will be a good way to fight them. It's what they don't want to be doing. They want to hit you and keep going. Very, very interesting. So thematically, let's go to a completely different keyword. I want to talk about uh, the DIA and the Umbra keywords in English Ivan. Uh, can you tell me, Matt, um, kind of where where does English Ivan fit into the world of Malifaux? So, yeah, uh, English Ivan is a character that we introduced uh, a long time ago. Um, I can't remember the exact book. Cal, can you? Another first edition character. Wow, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, in, um He's he's had ties with Ramos. He's had ties with uh, Lucius. He's had ties with Mei Feng most recently, um, and it's been one of those characters that uh, players have wanted to see on the table for years. And um, this this was just the most opportune time to 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 see him. So that that's cool. And uh, Matt, how how would you describe? Um, these keywords. Well, first of all, let's talk about it because there are two different keywords, right? Yeah, so he has the DUA keyword and the Umbra DUA, keyword. I said DIA, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> DUA, go ahead, I'm sorry. So he has the DUA and the Umbra keyword and they 
um, kind of represent the two halves of uh, of his crew. So DUA represents the Department of Ungentlemanly Affairs, which are these sort of spies and thieves that are very good at doing heists and getting to where they want to, controlling uh, various aspects of the board. But then you have the Umber keyword, which are these shadow creatures that Ivan is summoning into, into battle based on um, various things that he has picked up over the years that aren't necessarily good things. Mm-hmm. Um, even to the point that Ivan's totem, uh, Mr. Mordrake, is Ivan's own shadow fighting at his own side um, and will eventually bite back Ivan. Um, so uh, as, uh, as a full grouping together they kind of have to balance off each other because the umbra models are generally where you're going to be getting the kind of front facing combat forward um set most of them have zero inch melee pretty low speeds but the dua models are kind of there to help set them up um, and they get a lot of benefits from them being there already with their ungentlemanly affairs ability keying off the concealment that they get and so it's really playing into how much do I have to go into both sides? And you really want to have a nice balance between the two of them. So any predictions, Kyle, on what people are going to really dig as they play uh, English Ivan and his keywords? Uh, I I hope players are going to like the Brock Inspector. Um, uh, I mean, some players will. Other players, as in the opponents, will probably hate them. <laughs> uh, Scary, man. Yeah, they're 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 big uh, and uh, they're going to they're going to have a lot of impact on the table. Um, I think the most fun for me is the idea of peeling shadows off of your opponents to summon. I think that that was uh, a, a really great mechanic to tie in thematically. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm just excited to see kind of how players are able to bend that in, uh, in interesting ways. Um, and for players who are interested in the lore, you know, we're, we're seeing not only Ivan, but we're also seeing uh, – DeWalt and Havenhand on the table and uh, their interactions uh, with how they're reacting to essentially this changed man. Um, Because for the longest time, he was just the Department of Ungentlemanly Affairs and something clearly happened to him, um, but they're still along for the ride. Um, So, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot going on with Ivan. And um, so generally speaking, one thing, um, and this applies to everybody, it's not just these uh, these two masters and keywords. how important was it? And maybe it was not important at all for you guys to add models to the explorers that could be utilized elsewhere. So shared keywords. Um, was that something where you said, yeah, we definitely want to you know, bring some new models to the other keywords via the explorers? Um, or did it just because we know it happened, but I'm, I'm trying to get a sense of whether that was a goal or whether you just went, you know what? thematically or mechanically these guys really fit you know with with this other um uh keyword yeah um for me like some of it like yeah we do want to have dual keyword models that that breach in other factions like we're not gonna just do none of them but it wasn't a goal of ours to have all of many as possible like there's not that many in um in explore study because we really wanted them to stand on their own we didn't want people to see them as another coming of 10 thunders where everything is dual faction um because like they're their they're their own people and the the dual keyword characters that exist those are generally there for a very specific reason um lore wise so like corvus rook and the operatives we felt like they had a really interesting place of like here's this big business conglomerate 
they have to do some shady things. So they go to the shady people to do that. And so that's where those those two people come in. And so when you have Corvus Rook, who is essentially a cleaner coming in for and he kind of fits in both of these places and the operatives felt really interesting. And we really liked the mechanics of what they were bringing. Um, we were like, okay, what if we have this character who's not actually who they say they are, where do they fit? And it just kind of fit naturally in these two keywords that we're talking about. Yeah. And I would imagine Kyle that, you know, initially, you know, the idea of having multiple keywords on the same model seems, you know, super flexible and it's exciting, but I would also imagine it restricts you as well. Right. So you, you're in a situation where you now have to think of them not only in the keyword for the Explorer master, but the keyword and how they're going to interact with that whole other keyword that they share. Um, so I would imagine that that's gotta be a challenge for these, isn't it? Uh, yeah. And one in particular I can think of is uh, a cross faction, um, model and that's the damned um the damned crosses over has the savage keyword so he plays well with euripides um and for the longest time we were bouncing back and forth on you know should it be a neverborn model with the seeker keyword should it right. be an explorer society model with the savage keyword and i think we ultimately settled in on the right decision but it wasn't an easy one you know because uh, of what he potentially could bring to neverborn um being you know so heavily leap oriented and that sort of thing but we also didn't want to have neverborn players lean on that character too much <laughs> right um he is very powerful um and he's going to be a great fit for savage um uh but we yeah we didn't want uh when we want to create a powerful character we we do have to be very careful about where it can be exploited um yeah so that's ultimately where that decision came into play. Craig, I will say um, sometimes restrictions make it way easier to make a character because you're just oh. like, oh, I have to do these two things. OK, <laughs> <laughs> that works. It's pretty simple. Done. If it's just like, oh, I have to do something totally unique. Oh, and right. Not fix it. Like be like where like a dual keyword peer character can be like Euripides' crew is kind of slow. So maybe we make a character that's not slow for him. Yeah. Um, and comes pretty easy in that way but knowing knowing what the gap is you're trying to fill yeah 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 the the damned came from looking at uh the blessed of december right off the bat um and, interesting and what that character put uh, looks like on the table and knowing that that process in the story of how to create a blessed um probably wasn't just a perfect thing so you know what Hmm. What does the first version look like? You know, yeah. Jedza walks over it, and suddenly it's alive again. So, <laughs> so not happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and really, when you guys got rid of the mercenary stuff from Tui, you know, that was one of the things that you guys mentioned was that you know you had to, from a design space, you know, kind of simplify that. Um, and the idea of um, you know having somebody being able to be hired by just about anybody and, and dealing that. And, you know, when we talked about in the previous episodes about the tax and how you guys manage that. So that makes uh, total sense to me. So guys, let's take a quick break. When we get back from this break, we're going to explore Jetsa and Lord Cooper. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Doug, and I'm a $5 patron of Third Floor Wars because Craig promised he'd play as the Arcanist if the Patreon reached $300. I want to see him suffer. What is it worth to you to get this podcast on a weekly basis? 
is worth a dollar a month, $5 a month, $20 a month. If you'd like to help support the work that we're doing here on Third Floor Wars, please go buy our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash thirdfloorwars. There you can pledge at any level, any dollar amount. Whatever you give us will help us put out quality content on a regular basis and hopefully make tabletop gaming a little bit better for you every week. Need to give a quick shout out to some of our newest patrons. A big thank you to Anthony, Alexander, Michael, Bob, Old Doc Fulton, Joseph Pye, Loke Walmo, Nicholas Prinzing, Dearth8952, Mike, Peter Darmus, Eli, and KC. Because of you guys and the 100 plus others, uh, we're able to put out consistent content on a regular basis. We appreciate it. So we've already talked about Jets a little bit, but I want to dig into a little bit deeper. Um, so it's really kind of the same thing we've been doing before, Kyle. Where where does where does Jetson, the seeker keyword, fit within the world of Malifaux? Lore wise, what who is Jetson? Uh, well, that's a question that we're kind of uh, keeping a closed door on still. Oh, come uh, on, just let it all out right now. <laughs> uh, a few things that we do know: we do know that she is incredibly old. Um, that she is if not immortal, very close to being immortal, um, and that she's not from Malifaux. We do know that she's uh, from Earth first. Um, so how all of that kind of unfolds, uh, you're going to have to kind of read some bios, and you're going to have to read her story. Um, yep. There are some relationships that might surprise players with um, who she's comfortable working with and who she absolutely hates. Uh, interestingly enough, though, Jedza didn't start that way. Uh, it wasn't always like this this character that we wanted to... We didn't always want to go in that direction. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to do very early on was create kind of uh, a, a silly safari-esque necro, uh, necropolis explorer character uh, with almost like... Like you it's know, a skeleton with a with a vacation shirt on, right? Yeah, <laughs> kind of like a, a borderline ridiculous thing, and um, it was too ridiculous. Uh, so we yeah. ended up. Uh, I don't want to say grounding Jedza because Jedza is also probably just as equally as ridiculous, but in a much darker way, um, which is more appropriate to Malifaux. Um, and you know, we do like to to have fun, but generally, it's. Um, it's it's more like Earl Burns or the Bayou or something like that. Um, and there are there are some ridiculous models. Like there's that one tiny lamplighter um, who, who may or may not be a gremlin. Who knows? Who knows what's <laughs> underneath that? So, so uh, that's another those those lamplighter art is like I as a bot, I can't wait to see the sculpts. Yeah, they are they are my absolute favorite piece of art. Yeah, uh, I think lamplighter number one. It's very good. <laughs> yeah, it, like themat- they just drip thematics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just imagining them as models is super excited. Um, so, Matt, how would you categorize the seeker keyword? Um, if someone's going to play this keyword, what are they going to uh, what, what kind of weapons are they wielding? Um, the, the weapons of not not dying. If you are frustrated by your opponent alpha striking you constantly, this is a good keyword to play. They're very yeah. good at standing there and taking hits. Um, they're very good at controlling small areas that they can get to. Um, and yeah, they're, they're really good if, if you just want to make it through the game, um, which some people, that is their goal, is to not die. 
Yeah. Um, and, and um, I can, I can relate to that fully having <laughs> played against my fair share of like super Alfie Nakima lists that I'm just like, okay, um, I'm playing this game right from the start of turn one. Uh, how do I survive to turn two? Yeah. Uh, Jed's will do that for you um, mechanically. And um, Mikhail. Yeah. If Jed's doesn't, oh, Mikhail, Mikhail will. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Mikhail is also great. Is there a particular seeker model that um, you think is going to uh, end up um, causing a lot of conversations or get people really excited? Something that uh, maybe someone who just got the book and was flipping through it maybe didn't pick up on? I think mechanically, um, in terms of like power, Mikhail will see a lot of table time. He is very, very strong. Um, And uh, I'm happy about that for the most part. We're really excited about him as character. But in terms of weirdness, the Grave Goo is... um, is chef's kiss amazing in my opinion like <laughs> it's just great um because we really went with that one we we're like okay we have this goo that for some reason we had decided to want to use i can't remember how we had decided to be like yeah this is this is what we want to use here i've i wanted that character in in malifaux for the longest time it, it's been a part of through the breach and it's just such this this weird thing that was in Rottenburg um, that we, I, I just wanted to include from the start. It was just a matter of where to include it and sure. it made sense. And then mechanically for the grave goo, we kind of like, I kind of looked back at like the gelatinous ooze for fifth edition. Like how do you yeah. fight against just a ball of goo? What does it do to you? And I like the idea of it, like trapping you inside. And I asked myself like, okay, once you're trapped inside, how do you get out? I'm like, okay, you should be able to crawl out. But I really like the idea of your buddy, like reaching in and pulling you out. So that's all where that kind of came from. I was like, what is the most ridiculous way this character works on the table? Um, and I hope people play him and, and get a lot of, uh, a lot of play out of that just ridiculous piece um, engulfing their friends. Well, and it sounds like when they take that action to, to pull them out, they've got to make a sound effect, right? To, to get the full effect of just the pulling <laughs> yeah, out yeah. of the goo. There's <laughs> a very squelch. Yeah. <laughs> it's very gross. <laughs> and I, I will say it also like that character designing him had a lot of impact with another set of characters, Beeb and Calypso, because they kind of have similar mechanics, but backwards where BB Calypso are all about like, I'm going to get in this and be happy and be safe. <laughs> where if you, the grave goo is like, I'm going to pull you in into the most unsafe place. And so they sort of mirror each other and they were the, the when writing them, their mechanics kind of balanced out in a, in a way of like, okay, if I'm going to write it this way, I need to write it here. And then this, this problem showed up here. I bet it will also show up here. So always figuring those two things out. Very, very cool. So another uh, another key we want to talk about is the Apex keyword, Lord Cooper. Now, we saw them in action on the Gen Con live stream. So we saw how cool um, they are, you know, compared to, say, especially like when we're talking about the Seekers, a little bit more straightforward um, mechanically. Um, but Lord Cooper was talked about early on, Kyle, um, uh, way back when. And you said that, you know, lore wise, he changed a lot through the process of actually making him a master in a keyword. Yeah. Uh, so again, I won't go deep diving into his lore. Uh, I don't want to cheat players of the, you know, finding those story bits. Um, but there's there's a lot that has happened to Cooper. Clearly, um, you you can see it in the art uh, for starters. Um, he is um, he's got some machine parts, you know, and you have to figure out how and why that happened. Um, and now he's also not the leader of the Explorer Society. We 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 see another character in the story, uh, Gretchen, who is starting to run the show a little bit. Um, 
But as far as on the table goes, um, we knew that we have to have a fluctuation uh, across our masters in every faction of simple and complex. And we have arguably one of the more complex uh, characters in Malifaux in Nexus, I'd say. And to combat that, we we did want to make sure that um, Cooper and uh, EVS, for example, are a little bit more straightforward to play. Um, he's not quite, you know, point and shoot. He's got a right. lot going on with him, you know, with um, adversary and uh, the uh, uh, the snipers that are uh, with him doing some interesting things. Um, you know, a giant T-Rex. What does that look like on the table? Um, but we, we did know that we wanted to keep him fairly straightforward so that um, players of all types could could enjoy uh, the new faction, not, not just players who want the the high level, how complex can we make Malifaux sort of thing. So. Sure, sure. Um, in your mind, Matt, um, what kind of player is going to enjoy playing Apex? Um, to me, it's the kind of player that wants to be able to do well without uh, without just frying their brain. Um, <laughs> I think everyone has kind of gone to a tournament that's just like, here's five rounds over the course of like two days. And by the end of it, you're completely dead. Yeah. Um, and we wanted to granted Malifaux never going to get to the point that you're going to be able to play without thinking. Yeah. Uh, but we wanted the character that if he has a big gun, you point the big gun and shoot at people. Um, and that is a way to just win with Cooper. There are a lot of other things to do with Cooper. There's a lot of different ways to play him. You can do like sort of pit traps and you can do this kind of beastie menagerie build. But the idea of like, he's a guy with a gun that shoots things is very, very simple and um sort of cathartic of just like <laughs> yeah i i want to kill that guy and it's going to feel good yep. um, but also in the same time like we wanted people to feel like a hunter um uh, one of my favorite like tiny bits about cooper is that the only two named models other than cooper and his crew are the dogs it just kind of gives you a sense of like what kind of person Cooper is. <laughs> yeah, he, he he likes his dogs a lot more than he likes people, and you see that a little bit in uh, his his totems and uh, in that contract that um, a couple hundred people may or may not have signed. <laughs> <laughs> Those totems well, are super fun, by the way. One of the big feedback we got from the uh, from the live stream was people were really. Uh, found how unique and interesting those totems worked um, and how different they were um, functionally. Um, I'd be curious, Matt, when did they start to form or how, how long in the process before they ended up being where they are now? Um, so the idea of the runaways was actually really early on in Cooper's um, thought process. We were like him hunting people sounds like a thing he would do. And it's also like, Oh, these people aren't on his team in the same way. <laughs> That's not a thing that we've explored in Explorer yep. Society or in Malifaux in general. Um, and so they've they've changed a lot, but the core idea of they are not his buddies has kind of always been there. And at first, we kind of played with the idea of like this it had a, a ability, something along the lines of like this model is joins your opponent's crew. Mm -hmm. and becomes part of their crew the entire game. Um, and that didn't end up working out. Um, but the the core mechanic of them running away from Cooper and however they leave the table, whether you kill them, your opponent kills them, or they escape, all of them are good for you, bad for your opponent. 
Right. Um, and so it's all about like the choices that are made between both players of what happens between them, because no matter what they do, it's bad uh, for, for your opponent and good for you. And so it feels really good, even though like, yeah, you're hunting people. <laughs> um, and that was also like, how do you make killing your own models feel cool? Right. <laughs> well, and thematically and mechanically, right? Yeah, uh, and even with that, you know, like uh, Matt talked about very briefly about uh, the what happened with uh, playtesting and uh, how we originally had them playing the other on the other side. And McKinley, he, he said it didn't work, but it actually it, it did. It just wasn't fun, you know. Right. Uh, and it ended up boiling down to that. Like Matt can make any crazy idea work. <laughs> that I have no doubt. But um, ultimately, giving the opponent essentially a chore just ended up bogging interest down for them. Um, so. I know one of the, one of the problems we also had with them was Cheeto fingers. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And especially uh, now with everything going on, you know, uh, it just didn't, it just didn't make sense to continue that idea. Well, touch your nice painted models. Right. No, no, I, I, I am not a fan of that. So I'm glad you decided <laughs> not to do that. All right. So the big question that everybody wants to know, the answer is, is who's the first person that said, we need a dinosaur. That was me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So where does that come from, Matt? Um, I'm pretty sure I dinosaur through the entire process, basically until the sculpt was done. Everyone's like, this is not going to work. <laughs> we got Everyone's like, okay, yeah, the dinosaur is pretty cool. But to, to go from like Matt's crazy idea to, to what we have today, like it started off as a 120 millimeter model, went to wow. 80 mil. No, and it then started at 80. Sure. That did not sure. work. Sure. <laughs> started at 120. <laughs> Yeah, it, it started by a three by three, you know. And <laughs> it was just a foot. Right. Yeah. Grown <laughs> plastic T Rex and just play chomp chomp on the table. Oh, that's funny. Um, I, in all seriousness, though, when did was Malosaurus always um, dual faction, or did that happen in the process? Uh, like what when did Faye become part of the keyword for the dinosaur as for far Malosaurus? as as far as the lore goes it was Faye first um Got and it. it was a matter of how do we introduce this into the explorer society um the Malosaurus rex was interested uh, introduced in uh jurassic foe and through the breach adventure we pull mm-hmm. a lot of stuff from through the breach um and um there's there's some Explorer Society stuff in there as well, um, but you know how did how do we introduce it to the Explorer Society? You get to see that a little bit in the uh, Cooper story, um, in in how he managed to wrangle one uh, onto his side. But yeah, it it, it was always Faye first. Uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna step in on Kyle's toes only because it was always not just Apex first. There was a time it wasn't always Faye specifically, and you can oh. kind of call it out on this. Um, at one point, it was a Chimera model, and then we realized that Marcus didn't really need the Malasaurus Rex. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess I mean more as like uh, story related. Like it was always yeah. a part of the Wildlands in Titania's Forest. Got so in, in that regard, it was always Faye. I will say the Malasaurus being a Chimera model is something that um, makes me sad only when I look at the Arcanist faction book when the Malasaurus Rex art shows up. <laughs> Where we're like, yeah, I mean, it does show up in these wildlands, but it's not actually Chimera anymore. <laughs> uh, and so that was, like, granted, like, I'm really happy with it being a Fae, and I think it makes the Fae crew it brings a really interesting dynamic to them where like sometimes Marcus is just like, okay, yeah, we, I have the saber tooth Cerberus already. And also like putting wings on the dinosaur 
all the time. Like you can still yeah. catch it if you go the roundabout way of like I'm going to play Titania and then bring Marcus and the dinosaur. You can still do it, but that was sometimes too much. I'm sure. I'm sure. Oh, that's fun. Um, so what I'm trying to figure out, and Matt, and, and I think you've hinted at it, but I want to spell it out. Did you see Malosaurus Rex in the Through the Breach material and go, that needs to come into Malifaux? Or did you say, I, I, we need a dinosaur? <laughs> I think I saw the Malosaurus Rex. Yeah. It wasn't just a craving for dinosaurs. Okay. <laughs> I am not 100% positive, but I'm pretty sure I saw the Malosaurus Rex. And then I was just like, oh, let's do it. Let's do it. That's cool. That's cool. Well, guys, let's take another break. When we get back, we're going to talk about the last two. We're going to talk about Maxine and Nexus. We'll be right back. Howdy, friends. Craig here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3x3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com, that's with one M, or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. If you use the promo code third floor friend, all one word, T H I R D F L O O R F R I E N D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and playmats. So poor Kyle is regulated as my lore master in this process. So Kyle, let's talk about Maxine and EVS. Um, where um, have we seen this before? Was this a brand new creation? This was brand new. Um, so uh, we wanted to dive into, uh, I mean, one thing that we like to do uh, when we research characters and ideas and come up with concepts is uh, pull from the real world. Um, and Maxine and her crew is heavily inspired by that. Um, uh, Beeb and Calypso, for example, are it, it's a that was a real scientist, and that was a real machine. That's that's the first bathysphere that was created. Wow, I didn't uh, know that. Uh, the uh, Maxine Agassi is inspired by another explorer, but with the same name. Um, we, uh, some of her, uh, background is inspired by that character, but, you know, we, we wanted to take her in a slightly different direction. So it's more of a inspired by, um, and maybe players can make those connections themselves. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Kia came from, uh, other established lore that we created, you know, with Abyssinia, we wanted to see Abyssinian, uh, characters more in Malifaux and what would that look like? Um, and um, Harada Nagatoro and his father um, are also established characters in our lore because of the Nagatoro sisters in the other side who ended up taking out uh, Hormatangi way back when. Um, so there's there's deep connections within that and then also connections to, to real world history. Um, uh, Orville. Uh, I think was just a wild idea. <laughs> if uh, I remember correctly. is named after a very famous Wright brother. That's right. Yes. That's where his name came from. But I mean, the, the giant jetpack yeah, and, yeah, and tossing bombs. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> what, what is Maxine's totem look like? 
we'll give her Orville. Right. That's very close, close to us here in uh, North Carolina. That's where the Wright brothers and Kitty Hawk. Um, excuse me, I'm from Ohio. I'm going to claim the Wright brothers. <laughs> this is this has been a long going feud, Matt. A long going feud between North Carolina and Ohio. Uh, we have airplanes on everything. Uh, I think Maxine is also the first character that is canonically like married and is a master. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Wow. Or that like we've talked about their their marriage. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So uh, thematically, Matt, um, from a gameplay standpoint, um, if somebody's playing EVS, um, what what are they what are they looking to uh, put on the table? Um, in terms of like what kind of person like EVS? Sorry. Uh, sure. Yeah. Like yeah. what kind of person? What kind of style of play are we looking at? Oh, what are yeah. some uh, mechanical thematics? So EVS was kind of um very specifically designed as a motley crew of if you have a ship you have a bunch of different roles on that ship and what do these roles look like um and it ends up with a crew that is fairly good at everything in a similar like they're generalists in the same way like von schill is a generalist like Mm -hmm. he has a lot of different resources for everything and for her um and the evs crew we really wanted to focus on like okay they were there to be scientists what would that what does a scientist look like here and so we kind of got this idea of like deep discovery and reconfigure and we were like okay so here's these two different ideas we'll do this one and see if it works and then eventually we just like what if we did both and we somehow <laughs> them? and they're like they're they're distinct and different but they they work together in interesting ways to make a crew that is very very versatile provided that they plan ahead which is kind of what the scientists a scientist would want to do that. Like you have to have the ability to plan out your hand really, really carefully. And over the course of the turn, it will kind of make everything that you have very, very potent. Um, like interesting. And it makes for a really fun way to play in my opinion, because yeah, they're, they're very consistent if you plan enough ahead. And then Maxine is kind of there as, um, a center point to be like, okay, not only can we play in ahead, but we can also kind of change up on the fly by drawing cards a little bit, but also during the middle of the turn, I can change my style. And that, that represents her as a character. She is a, a polymath. She is a genius at, in so many different subjects. So her ability to change how she thinks um, in the middle of the game was really, really important. Very cool. Uh, and it, it played into like this really cool mechanic of choosing a suit and then each of the reconfigures has their own suit, but hers changes and then also her triggers and stuff change on that. Um, it it makes for her turn to be really, really interesting from game to game. It, yep. it will kind of look the same, but also not look the same. And when she fights against an enemy, she can use the the idea of like meta knowledge what is this character good at doing mechanically in the game to her own advantage by with her like two steps ahead ability of saying like yeah i'm fighting against a neverborn character who primarily uses masks they're not going to be as good against me and that was just a really interesting concept that we kind of said what's a scientist look like in the battlefield it is interesting and i'll tell you that that entire uh, mechanic right of the of the choosing of the suits and that impacting what the values are going to be um, is one of those things that you read it and you go holy Christmas that is the craziest thing it's going to be so overpowered but I've talked to people that have been playing EVS and they say it's a lot more restrictive than you think it, it, it reads 
stronger than it plays, um, but it still works. Um, do you think that that's an accurate assessment? Yes. And I think specifically it's because people, when people read it, they read it as all the cards I play of this suit are value nine. It's not that way. It's because you have to cheat. You do have right. to spend these resources, which is really where once you actually get it on a table, you notice when you're spending these resources and how you have to give them back. And so like, it is really easy to say this crew is crazy because of this rule and then put them on the table and be like, I ran out of cards. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So I've saved um, what I think is, at least initially, um, the master and the keyword that's getting the most buzz. Um, I think people like myself that are that are, you know, love painting and love modeling are super excited about the look of Cadmus and Nexus. Um, I know that a lot of uh, the competitive people that I've been talking about uh, won't shut up about Nexus and Cadmus. Um, so for those um, that are listening, Kyle, that have never heard of Cadmus, where do the where do they fit into Metalfall? Well, uh, Cadmus is what makes Cadmus the most unique. I'd say is that uh, when you say Cadmus and Nexus, you aren't talking about a single entity. Um, we are we are talk we we are bringing a hive mind into Malifaux, and um, Cadmus is the keyword and the character, um, mm -hmm. and Nexus is just the nexus of that character, the part where they are the most vulnerable, probably also one of the more complex characters in, uh, in the Explorer society because of how they function and how they can manipulate the opponents. Um, and another one of those uh, ancient characters that uh, kind of was unearthed. Um, mm -hmm. The, the story behind it, uh, I, I want to talk about it for hours, but I don't want to take that away from from <laughs> players. Um, there's there's a ton of stuff to to get from in in the Explore Society book. Uh, you get to see their interactions with people um, and with people that they've already kind of taken control over and what that looks like. Um, and then we also got to uh, highlight some other established characters within that crew, with like the uh, Night Sail Creeper we were able to bring in. Uh, to uh, Malifaux, which was another established through the breach character, um, uh, traditionally more Neverborn oriented. But um, as it turns out, these mites that Cadmus controls um, ends up combining in a very positive way for them uh, with uh, the Night Soul Creeper. And that's where we get Nexus and uh, why that aspect of the character is more potent than say taking over a regular person and becoming an eyes and ears or um, a berserker husk, which uh, I don't know if, I, if you've seen the art, they're disgusting. They're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> they're cool. They're right. cool. Like, like I keep saying it through this whole episode. like, I can't wait to see the sculpts. Uh, I mean, as soon as I got to see all of the artwork, I was like, wow, this, this, this is some crazy stuff. So this concept of this hive, um, Matt, how, do, how does that turn into actual models and how does that turn into actual mechanics? Um, well, it doesn't start as a concept of hive. That's how you do it. You, you evolve into that somehow. Um, <laughs> Interesting. Because originally it was, there was an idea discussed on the office of what if we make this spider character that we had floating around? What if they eat people and steal their abilities? And we we're like, okay, that's cool. And then I was writing that, and that became excessively complicated. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was really, really cool. But we were like, okay, 
how do we take this idea of like taking other people's stuff? And then I, I know we got to talking with a few of us and the idea of this hive mind sort of evolved from hmm. that. Um, and mechanically we were like, okay, what does a hive mind need to work? It needs lots of parts of itself. It needs worker ants. It needs the ability to defend itself. And that's, that's where all of these kind of different characters came in. Um, yeah, I'd say the only, sorry, I'd say the only restriction we really had in the concept was we wanted to make sure it was as separate and different from Hamlin as possible. Interesting. Yeah. They were, they're both very plague spready. Um, and we wanted to approach that in a very different light, but, um, I will say, uh, Nexus is creepy even amongst the, (laughs) (laughs) that whole group, they're all creepy. Is there a particular Nexus model, Matt, that you're excited for people to try? Um, so I Remember like Cadmus all model. of them. Uh, the spell eaters are really, really cool, in my opinion, and how they work. And the idea of how does magic work with a hive mind that's uh, eating people, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, not exactly, but... Um, the Knights of Paper is, is really, really cool. The Archivist, they're all cool. Eyes and Ears are even cool. Like, they have their uses for what is essentially a random citizen of an LFO. So, I, I so, don't have a favorite. <laughs> <laughs> you like them all the same. <laughs> um, so, one of the things that has come up several times as I've had different designers on the show is a thing that I'm starting to term designer's armor, which is you create something. And you put it out in the wild and then the Internet lights up and everybody starts giving their immediate hot take feedback. And uh, it's been very interesting to me to hear how designers like handle that type that just that rush and uh, of feedback. So for you, Kyle, one, you know, when the book got out there, when the when the cards show up in the app, when there's uh you know, very uh, uh, pointed uh, opinions that are being shared on, you know, on co- by content creators or, uh, you know, on AWP. And um, do you just not read it? Do you read it and, you know, just absorb it, uh, disregard some of it, take some of it to heart? I, I, I'm really interested in how when you when you when you present your children to the world and <laughs> you find out what their thoughts are, how do you handle that? Uh, first, I read everything and I probably shouldn't, um, but it, it doesn't affect me in the way that um, it, it affects some. Um, I think that um, the process of development uh, of a game ends up kind of turning you into Swiss cheese because mm-hmm. you're never going to hear anything worse than when you put something out into playtesting and it's like the raw alpha version and, you know, that's, that's the feedback that you need the most. And it's the feedback that hurts the most because it's, it's here's, here's this beautiful idea guys. And they they come back. It's like, no, this is busted or stupid. And you know, what, what do I do with this? This doesn't actually work. It's like, Oh, right. Uh, uh, So having, gone through that experience uh, over and over and over again. Like you, I think it's a good phrase. Designer's armor is that, you know, the, you kind of get calluses uh, from it. Uh, I don't want to say you get numb from it because you know, that, that feedback is always going to make an impact to you. Uh, Yep. But um, it's, you just have to, it's not water off the back either. It's, 
you know, you learn from those things. Like if you make a, a design mistake here, you're not, you're not going to make that mistake again in the future. Um, right. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say that there's nothing, there's nothing that anyone on uh, AWP can say that uh, a play tester hasn't always uh, already said in uh, a much worse way. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> How about for you, man? How do you handle that? Just that, that uh, the dam has broken and here comes all the feedback. Um, I also uh, read all of it. I listen <laughs> to all the podcasts. I do all of it and try to accept as much as possible. And I don't take it as gracefully as Kyle does, but I do try. <laughs> so it's sometimes, yeah, it's 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 not the best feeling in the world, but also yeah. that you see responses that are like, this is amazing. I want all these models. This is a really cool mechanic. How, like, what does this do? Like all these things. And that helps in in such a better way, like such an exponentially better way to see positive feedback that you kind of, for me, it's, I, I kind of just have to say like some people are not going to like anything because they just don't like things. They want right. to tear it to pieces. Yep. Um, and being able to accept that, like, that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. And let, like, yeah, sometimes it's going to suck and sometimes it's going to be great. Um, and you just kind of had to accept that for me. Um, sometimes it's really awesome. Sometimes it's meh, um, for a day, but yeah. So I'd be interested, and this is for really for both of you. Um, so there's one thing, you know, you put out a new keyword and, you know, everybody says this is, this is, this is busted. This is going to break the game and blah, blah, blah. Then they actually play it as opposed to just read the cards. And then, you know, usually a lot of times that changes opinions, right? When they actually see it instead of imagining it. But I would be curious to know, when does that noise actually filter down and how does it translate to potentially showing up in a errata later? Um, I'd like to get an idea of what the uh, the gates in the in the channels are before you guys finally decide, you know what, Let, we, we do need to look at this a little bit. Um, uh, is there is there a litmus test that you guys apply or do you just you let the dust settle and explore it on your own or how do you guys decide that? I'd probably say it's a gut feeling um mm. and maybe maybe there's more of a science behind it or math that i haven't really thought about but one character in particular that i could think about when we did an early reveal on is winston finnegan um we revealed that card and um the reaction wasn't what we expected um it it was leaning pretty heavily into an, a negative way and we we had the opportunity to take a look at that character before it ended up getting released and you'll see now uh he's still powerful but he's, right. he's he's definitely uh, more brought back down to earth a little bit. Um, uh, sometimes things do get through. Um, you know, uh, there's with the amount of models that we have in the game and the the size of the game. Uh, even with our incredible playtesters, it's inevitable that something's going to slip through. There's a combination yeah. out there that no one thought about until. You know, it's put through, you know, the grinder of a, of a large community, in, in which case we, we address it. It's possible, Kyle. Let's let's be honest. It's impossible. Right. right? I mean, you're just there's just no way there's no way until you have the, the everybody play testing it right? right until everybody plays it and tries it. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, I mean, I get a little frustrated sometimes when people, you know, get down on designers and say, well, how'd they let that through? And it's just like, well. Now I know you don't know what you're talking about because you've obviously never designed a game or software for that matter, but I'm right. sorry. Um, you're, I, I'm 
getting out myself my soapbox about that. <laughs> no, um, but essentially, we're human. You know, we we, right. we make mistakes. Um, I don't want to say that we we kind of thrive on them, but we do learn from them. <laughs> sure. Uh, and uh, we we definitely become better designers with every mistake that we make. So. Um, well, yeah. And it's, um, you know, it, it's also a matter uh, less. If I view it less as the mis- fixing mistakes as far as, you know, refinement, right. I think is a, a much better word. Um, and there's so many factors involved um, in there. How about for you, Matt? Is there a, is there a bar a model must jump before it's going to uh, get some attention? Sort of. For me, a lot of it comes down to uh, individuals that I respect their opinion a lot and consistently have have shown that they have a, a good idea and that'll let me review something. So like my playtesters, like I respect all of my playtesters um, for everything that they do and they truly like make make Malifo what it is in, in addition to just me and Kyle. Um, and when one of them says to look at something, that, that means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but in addition, there is sort of an intuition to it of if I if I go through our forums and read through 300 posts and I remember very one specific at the end, I remembered it for a reason. Right. Um, and if I keep running into that same I- idea and it keeps coming up and it keeps kind of nagging in the back of my head, that's when I really know like, OK, yeah, this is going to be something I want to touch. Um, mm-hmm. at the same time, there are, there are things that I want to touch that other people don't notice or that just aren't, a, <laughs> aren't an issue to the general public, even if they're a big issue, but yeah. just no one has noticed because it's, it's a big issue in this super specific context. Um, and those are the things that are like, okay, this is not something I'm going to touch because we only have so many limited resources to touch when we do a physical data um, that maybe we don't touch those things and move on to the things that people are actively more, uh, more loud about in a way. Um, So yeah, it's, it's really important to just kind of have a sense um, and and have that nagging feeling in the back of your head to to know that like yeah this is something I want to I want to look at further. Very very interesting. Um, so we got past a bit of a milestone here. I mean, dropping a whole new faction and putting the book out. All the models are out there in the wild. Um, I would imagine there's a little bit of a oh, moment where you know it's it's finally the you know the the ink is dry. Um, but, um, that you guys aren't done. Um, and what we're looking at is work that you guys have been doing for a very long time. I'd be interested, Kyle, for you, is there something that you're really excited about coming around the corner? Yeah. Uh, so the other side starter box is coming out, uh, relatively soon in 2021. Um, and, uh, it's going to have models that cross over between the other side and Malifaux. And it's something we haven't done before. Um, and it's going to have Karai and Sonia playing on both sides on, you know, a four by six and a three by three in both games. Um, and we're going to see Sonia and Karai and, you know, their company playing, uh, in a new way in Malifaux. Uh, it, it's not just an alt sculpt. Um, we're going to see. Karai doing different things. We're going to see Sonya doing different things. And um, the title system is going to uh, get some love in that. And uh, I'm really excited to see how uh, players react to that. Um, I'm excited to give uh, the other side some attention um, because it's, it's a fantastic game. 
we just um, need a starter box. So, you know, we need to need to get that out there. So. Um, so, Kyle, I was excited about the starter box thinking it was just new sculpts. But the idea that as a Malifaux player that I'm going to be able to revisit Karai and take another look at Sonya um, is pretty exciting. I mean, we've known that the title system was a thing, but uh, to know that it uh, is closer than may- maybe a lot of people realized, I think is uh, pretty exciting. How about you, Matt? What are you excited about uh, what's coming around the corner? Yeah, first I will mention the title. I think the titles were a horribly guarded secret. <laughs> yeah, they were kind of. They were like kind of everyone knew they were kind of there. Yeah. Also, like we never really talked about it, but I'm super excited for that box. I'm also very excited for the new starter boxes coming out from Alifo. Um, We've announced the Bayou starter box, the Explorer starter box, and the Outcast starter box. All of these are um, new models coming out the, that are going to be pre-assembled um, so people can get them right on the table. It comes with a fate deck. It comes with a measuring widget. It comes with scheme markers. It is right enough to get people on the table into play so I can go with my friends to a game store eventually when COVID is done and be like, oh, I'm going to teach you how to play Malifaux. Here's a box, literally pour it on a table and play. And that's really cool for me. It's one of the things I really like about the other side. And we've learned since uh since the other side how to do some uh some things a little bit differently. And so approaching that with Malifaux, um and even uh the the first one I think coming out is the outcast. I think we've already mm-hmm. kind of talked about that before. Um those characters are really fun. The Catlin core are really interesting. They um help to expand Anya a bit and her crew. Her crew in Explorers is a bit smaller because she has this this mercenary outfit that she she purchased. Um and they they do some really cool things for her crew, but also bring um, some love to outcasts uh, when we haven't touched outcasts in some time so that they get some new toys all around. And uh, I think the, the characters are really interesting. I'm very excited for the other starter boxes. Um, obviously explorers. We've already seen uh, Mr. Nagatoro, Tannenbaum and the hopeful prospects. That'll be a fun way to get people started in the game. And then when we eventually get around to the, uh, the original Bayou Bash models and them them hitting the table. That is a wacky bunch of uh, of, of racers that make for a really fun game. <laughs> the I am amazed at how sustained the buzz around Bayou Bash has been. Um, I mean, we heard, first heard that term a while ago, and people still bring it up. Uh, people are still excited to uh, to finally take a look at it. So that's great. Well, guys, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. I appreciate you taking the time. I know uh, everybody has been very excited to hear uh, kind of your thoughts on the Explorers now that it's all out there. Um, any cl- uh, last things we want to um, uh, put out there, Kyle? Any plugs or uh, call outs? Uh, I mean, we've already kind of been speaking the praises of our playtesters, but right now uh, we have uh, two groups of playtesters that are uh, making our games shine in the background. Uh, If you're listening, thank you. You are the reason why our games uh, end up working. So (laughs) (laughs) we know it's not Matt. So (laughs) my favorite thing is when you give a playtest or something, they're like, this is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, cool. I knew it was terrible. Thank you for accepting me. (laughs) Thank you for validating me. (laughs) Uh, I'm for you, Matt. Any uh, plugs or uh, shout outs? um, I will say uh, one other thing that I'm excited for. That's kind of a plug. Um, 
from nightmares is coming out soon i am very oh, excited yes. that book to explore new content with through the breach and explore neverborn characters to an extent and new magic and all that kind of stuff that is very very exciting i'll also um uh, pl- i'll plug you craig third full wars thank you for listening <laughs> yeah congrats uh, on 100 amazing oh thanks thanks i appreciate uh, and, that and all the other podcasts i listen to a lot of them and they're all great and i want people to know that like even if you don't think anyone's listening, I'm at least listening and you should continue what you're doing. Um, it's, it's great to just listen to people's point of view. So I'll tell you what, guys, I've been excited about the, we have a little bit of a burst of new, new po- podcasts coming out from Malifaux. It's very exciting. Um, very, very exciting. I've always considered that a good measure of the health of a game um, is when you have an expanding pool of content creators um and then you can off, often smell the uh <laughs> smell the uh vultures uh when things start shrinking um and that is not what we're seeing with Malifaux, which i think is is very very exciting yeah it's, it's really cool to see how many people are, are excited especially just for explorers the number of things that like right when it came out people were like oh my god this is interesting here's my thoughts like just all of those are really fun to listen to because yeah. you're just like i've been working on this for so long and how you hear like voiced opinions rather than just text, which sometimes text is a little boring to read. Um, mm-hmm. uh, people can have a conversation. It's great. And yep. now we're, we're seeing podcasts on not just, you know, the competitive side of the gameplay, but we're also seeing, you know, YouTube content for the lore yep. of the game, which uh, I just, I just love, you know, keep doing that, please. And I'll yep. keep watching. Um, so people that, that are just the like uh, steam powered scoundrels and they're weird uh, <laughs> we're just going to talk about <laughs> and weird in general like they're fun to listen to and it's a nice break there's a there's a reason that he is the first pod I'll listen to when as soon as I see it on my catcher and I see a new steam powered scoundrels it's the first thing I'm going to listen to because I know it's not going to be like it's going to be unlike anything I've listened to this yeah, month no idea what's coming exactly yeah, like, <laughs> Where like Craig is just like here's uh, here's a a Nakima deep dive. You're like cool. I know, I know most of the hits they're gonna hit here. Yeah, um. you have no idea which which way he's gonna go, which is great. <laughs> uh, all right, gentlemen, um, I do appreciate it. And for those of you who stuck around to the end, thanks for listening. Take care. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch so you don't miss uh, the avalanche of content we create. Links are in the show notes. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest in gaming apparel and gear. There you'll also find the latest information for the U.S. Faux Tour. Find out where you rank in your conference or even in the entire United States. Get those models built, painted, and ready so we can see you at the next U.S. Faux Tour Masters event. Please take a moment to write a review of this pod on your favorite platform. Rating and reviewing helps us find more listeners almost as cool as you are. Be sure to share this feed with all of your friends who love tabletop gaming. Thanks for listening. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now, if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast.
Um, so the last thing is, um, do I have to get in the car and drive down uh, to Georgia to get uh, RPG Matt on the show? Or can I like, what do I need to do to get him to come on and talk about Through the Breach? Uh, uh, you're going to have to talk to Kelly, I think. I will. I will. <laughs> I've been dying to have him on the show. Um, it was great to talk to him at Gen Con. And uh, I, the more um, people I talk to about Through the Breach, the more I read about it and watch actual plays, the more excited I am uh, by that game. Um, so um, I, I'm excited, hopefully, to, to talk him into it, especially with this new Neverborn book coming out, because it has created quite a stir. Um, so that's that's very exciting. Um, and I'll edit this out if we can't, but is there, uh, I was going to ask you guys if there's anything you're excited about, uh, in the near future. I don't know if that's a question you can answer or not. So before I ask it, I thought I'd check with you. Um, is there anything you can think in your head that you could talk about or should I just not ask it? I'm excited what players think about with, uh, the Karai Sonia TOS Malifaux crossover. Um, we're, Perfect. We're doing... you, so you, you have an answer. So I'll ask, I'll ask that. How about you, Matt? Do you have an answer? I'm excited for the starter boxes. Okay, cool. All right, so I'll ask the question. Call me on my craving for dinosaurs, Craig. You're trying <laughs> a little bit there. I, I saw your face light up. Ninth faction <laughs> coming in soon. Just dinosaurs. <laughs> Jurassic foe. <laughs> we, often, we often joke about like silly ideas for ninth factions of like dinosaurs. <laughs> Just what, what's a ninth faction? More ninjas. More ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> pirates. <laughs> already have the, the undead pirates, man. Ugh, I gotta finish painting mine. I haven't finished. I painted Molly. Um, and then I got stuck doing other stuff i need to paint the rest of those because that that they all look pretty it's great yeah that is a great box oh that's who i that's who i interviewed um is uh the what's her name that 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 uh did the art Alyssa for pirate thank you Alyssa. i had Alyssa on the show hasn't come out yet um she was awesome she was an awesome guest too mm-hmm. um yeah well, she's it great. was yeah it was i wasn't sure what it was gonna be like to have a audio discussion about art and it ended up being awesome um yes she did the uh the art for um bio bash too which is still coming oh, I didn't out think, yeah uh, <laughs> you know i'm proud of her because she didn't say anything yeah because i didn't know that look at her she's good for her she did a lot of the, a lot of different stuff i yeah i couldn't tell you what all it was uh, I what, like writing the name of the book christmas oh. rasputina was her yeah um the um, new summer, her, you know, a lot of stuff. She 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 helps us out a lot. It was really funny. I told her this. Uh, you know, I tracked her down because I loved the artwork for the Molly box, and then I, you know, getting ready for the show, I did some more research to figure out some of the other stuff she drew. And I'm like, I was a big fan of her before I even knew. It. Like, it was all the same person. Like, mm-hmm. it was like, oh, I love that art and that art, and it was all turned out to be her. Um, she's she's very talented. Um. And speaks highly of working with you, Kyle, which I thought was weird. <laughs> that is weird. That is weird. Because <laughs> Matt doesn't do that. Matt doesn't. <laughs> Kyle guy. <laughs> All right. I'll bring us back and we'll talk about Maxine. All right. So we've already kind of talked about Jetska. Uh, Who? Then suddenly it's alive again. So, <laughs> so not happy. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh god i'm gonna end up editing that whole segment and put it into the main thing <laughs> that was good all right i'll bring us back talk about jetson i'm gonna go back to you first kyle to talk about lore okay perfect all right Um, these are not going to be deep dives. Um, I'm thinking very, very high level. Um, what I want to do is for each one of them, understand what they are lore wise. So if somebody has never heard who Anya is and the syndicate are just, you know, high level, this is where they fit into the world. Right. And then, um, maybe and Matt maybe you can even go into it a little bit like mechanically what what is the overarching theme of them mechanically what what what's if i'm going to play anya what what does that mean versus playing you know somebody else um even if it's a different uh, already established master and then probably the biggest thing i want to focus on is what are you guys excited about people finding out so when they finally get anya on the table and they start using the syndicate what are you excited for them to realize and excited for them to discover? Um, because I think that's a lot of the process that's happening right now. How does that feel? That works. Cool. All right. Sure. I'll bring us back. Oh, I'm not kidding, dude. I am going to buy that blaze in the dark now. <laughs> Kyle talks about it constantly. You're a good salesman, dude. Like I'm like, ooh, that sounds fun. <laughs> it's it's so good. Uh, I have not heard a bad word spoken about it. Mm. So um, it's a lot of oh, have you heard about Plays in the Dark? Let's talk about Plays in the Dark. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, I am I don't want to play it just so I could constantly hear Kyle ask. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a bit of time since you we've talked about it since we we're in the office before quarantine but yeah the the last time i played it we modded it so that rather than doing heists we were ghost busting uh, oh that's we were, so cool uh going out and uh finding ghosts and you know hunting them down do you like the world like the setting yeah uh, uh there's not really a lot that you need to do um, as far as you know, as establishing your own canon, because there's there's enough hooks in there without uh, that you can build on, which is good. Right. You know, it, it doesn't over-establish itself, um, but it also gives you enough space to kind of create your own thing. And I just like ghosts, you know. That's so cool, it, man. Um, uh, uh, Anthony, uh, one of the guys that I uh, do RPG stuff. Uh, with he's been on the show um he wants us he wants to have me play in one of his ghostbusters game apparently the ghostbuster new ghostbuster rpg is supposed to be really good like it doesn't interest me that much like ghostbusters doesn't but you know playing a game that anthony runs does so we'll see what happens all right i will bring us back um and who wants to start the conversation depends on what's it about (laughs) what i want to know when is the first time someone said we should have explorers as a new faction. I want to go back to that day. Who wants to go back there? Either one of us, really. I All mean, right. we'll start with you, Kyle. You volunteered. I guess yeah. so. <laughs> You're the last one that said something. That was dumb. <laughs> All right, I'll bring us back. Hey, are you still here? Look, uh, the podcast is over. And you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers? Well, I mean, if you're here, might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast too while you're at it, on whatever platform you're listening to. I do appreciate you sticking around. Take care.